mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Second Kings chapter 21 tonight as we continue through um, the history and now we are in the southern kingdoms. And I like to explain this all the time because sometimes nobody explained this to me early on and I didn't understand it. And, and as we grow is that when you look in the Old Testament and you start to read through uh, the, the first, second Kings, the Chronicles, the, the tribes were split up because of sin and uh, when Rehoboam, Solomon's son, took the throne, he um, didn't decide to lighten the load that was on him. So uh, Jeroboam took 10 of the tribes, 10 or really uh, maybe 11 of the tribes, uh, half a tribe of Benjamin, and they became the northern tribes, which is called Israel. So a lot of times when you're reading Israel, it's not talking about all of Israel. Because then there was what was called the southern tribes, which became known as Judah, which is the tribe that Jesus would come out of, that God protected, that God said to David that it will always be a king from your loins on the throne. And that, that really did happen. And we're getting ready to see some of that that's going on. But now we've seen the northern tribes in our study. Um, they came to the end of what God would allow. They would not turn back when Jeroboam took them into the north. They, Jeroboam made two golden calves. I think one in Bethel and one in Samaria. I could be wrong on those names. I've been wrong before on that. And put it, set them up so that the people would not go back to Jerusalem and walk away from Jeroboam and go back to the original place where the temple was at because they knew they were supposed to worship. They knew they were supposed to make sacrifices. So he gave them another place, the golden calves, to do their sacrificing and their worshiping. And they followed him. And listen, we're going to see that again tonight. We want to look at the fact that, that really leaders mean something. And, and where the leader goes, the people follow. And the standard that is set, the people will come underneath that standard always. And so we need to be very careful to know that the children of God, to as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. You want to know who your leader is? It's Jesus the Christ. And he sent you the Holy Spirit. And you're supposed to be led by the Spirit of God and the Word of God for the glory of God. You're not following man. But as Paul said, follow me while I follow Jesus. Make sure that I'm following Jesus. You're supposed to have a personal love relationship. So often we see men following men and men follow men even though the God says don't follow them. Because we won't read the Word of God. We won't spend time with God. We won't listen to what God says and have a personal love relationship. And if we would do that, we would be able to counsel others when they go off course. When we see that they're blind and they're leading the blind and they're going to end up in a ditch 
It, we're called to be a watchman, as we're reading in Ezekiel, and to let them know that they're getting ready to end in a ditch, that that's not what lines up with the Word of God. That's what we are called to do as the people of God, is to always to, to, to sound an alarm, to always be a witness, to always give testimony. And so what happened is the northern tribes are taken away into Assyria. They're taken away captive. Even when they had a good king, there was a good king on the throne, but God had already pronounced that they were going away. It was too late to turn. The, 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 the bondage was already coming. The captivity was going. Assyria was moving. And God raised up a more wicked country to come and take those, the northern tribes, Israel. And he later punishes them. And we're going to see the punishment of them later when Babylon crushes Assyria. But right now we're going to see that in that time, in chapter 18, because of what was going on. See, we're supposed to learn from the example. The entire Old Testament is written for examples for you and me of what we're supposed to be doing. It's written, it's testimony of how God's character is, how he blesses, how he loves, how he also chastises and rebukes those he loves, how he also defends those he loves. Everything about him is there for us as examples. And so it's when they seen the northern tribes led away, if you really go in and check the content, the southern tribes were trying to marry into the northern tribes. They were trying to be friends with them and trying to make peace with them, which they should not have been. And so God is protecting Judah, southern tribes, at the same time as he leads them away. Get them out of their life because they're unequally yoked now or trying to be with the northern tribes which are apostate and they're in bondage. And I've sent my prophets, God would say, to tell them to turn, but they won't turn. So now their time has come. And so a king rises up that God raises up, Hezekiah. His name means the Lord is my strength or Yah is my strength. And so he brings him in and here's the greatest reforms you've seen to date. Hezekiah is, is, is the greatest king since David. But he was, as we'll see, probably a bad father like David was. David didn't take care of his children. Hezekiah, we're going to see, probably didn't take care and lead Manasseh in the right way. Now listen, everybody's responsible for their own sins, but we're going to see that Manasseh is very seed, the child that he was training, and many people believe that they co-reigned together for 10 years before Hezekiah died, That that because we're going to see in 21 that um, Manasseh is 12 years old when it says he took the throne. And many people believe for the first 10 years Hezekiah was still alive. So he's a father, he's training his child, he's teaching him to lead, and he rejects everything that Hezekiah says. And he becomes the worst king ever in Israel, or in Judah. And he leads them, and you're going to see that in the text. Now listen, because there's a type there. See, because we have a father in heaven who has sent a son that would lead us, and that would teach us, and that would give us everything, even a position in heaven, and take our penalty for us, and we can listen to the father, yet we will resist and fight him, and continue to try to listen to Babylon and the world around us, the Canaanites. And that's what Manasseh did. Manasseh means forgetful. You guys remember Manasseh? When Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, 
Joseph being more of a type of Christ than anybody else in the Bible, I believe, if you go back and you can make a case for a lot of it, he's sold by his brothers, rejected by his brothers, even though he was called to be a leader and a savior for his brothers, the same way Jesus was. They sell him into bondage. He's in Potiphar's house. She lies, and he's cast into prison. He's in prison. He pulled out of prison in a miraculous way and becomes second in Egypt. And after he's there for a while, um, Pharaoh gives him a bride. His bride has a first child, and that first child is named Manasseh, which means forgetful, or it means um, causing to forget, or one who forgets. And that's because he forgets his bondage. He begins to bear fruit where he's at, and he forgets the bondage. He forgets that he was sold into slavery. He forgets that he was lied upon. He forgets that he was um, rejected by his brothers. His second child was named Ephraim, which means fruitful, and he begins to bear fruit. So anyway, fast forward. If you remember, God's delivering them out of Egypt. He's taking them into the promised land. And there's Reuben and Gad and what? Half the tribe of Manasseh that doesn't want to go across the Jordan. They don't want to go across the Jordan. So we see Manasseh again. And they can't forget the leeks and the garlics and the onions back in Egypt. And they don't want to cross the Jordan. They, they want to stay on this side where it looks good. And then now we have Hezekiah's reforms. Hezekiah takes down the high places. Hezekiah's got the nation rocking and living for Jesus, but it's not real. Because it's legislated by a leader. It's legislated by a king, and they're following it, but it's not in the heart of the people. And these are some examples that we need to learn. That just because we go to church, just because we have the high places torn down, just because we stop going to the bar, just because we want to please a judge or our wife or our husband, these things do not make us Christians. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Who is leading your life? Why is your life changed? Is there fruit bearing? Have you forgotten where you came from? See, because I believe we need to remember Manasseh. In this sense, Manasseh forgets all of the reforms that his dad brought. And forgets all of the goodness that God gives to the nation. And he goes back to living for the evil one. He goes back to practicing everything from the world. And see, and that's like some Christians. They get saved. They go, oh, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, brother. And they see you in the store there. Hallelujah. Praise you, brother. And But their fruit that match up to the root of their leader that they're talking about. Because you can tell a tree by its fruit. There's fruit bearing that happens in a tree. And if you're grafted into the tree of Christ, if you're grafted into this salvation, there's going to be fruit that begins to look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You're going to begin to look like the God who is leading your life, but you need to be in the Word of God. You need to be in prayer. You need to be in fellowship. You need to be, number one, my house should be a house of prayer. When you pray, listen to me, when you pray, you have to shut down your physical senses. You have to stop. 
You have to, by faith, know that you're praying to a God in heaven. That's why Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer. That takes dependency upon God. Praying is sometimes the hardest thing to do. Especially when something happens and out of the blue it happens and you just go run to fix it. Instead of praying and saying, God, how should I fix it? What should I do with it? Where should I go? Who should I call? See, God will help you with those things if you begin to trust in him. If you begin to understand your identity in Christ, that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. The Spirit of God is going to lead you to pray. The Spirit of God is going to lead you in the Word of God to understand who this God is that we're serving because His character, His nature, His will, it's everywhere. His name is in here. And there's salvation in no other name but in the name of Jesus. So we need to understand this. And I want you to see that, that God will not give up on you. He's going to continue to try you and test you. And as we closed <coughs> out with... Hezekiah, I didn't go over, and we can go over there now before we start reading chapter 21, but look at 2 Chronicles 32. See, because if you remember as we close this out, God had given Hezekiah 15 more years. Remember? He gave him 15 more years. Well, this really impressed some people that he had been hanging out with, really impressed Babylon. So they sent letters down the king did he sent an envoy down he said go down there and see that thing that happened there's a miracle that happened down there where hezekiah was going to die remember we had news and the couriers come and said he's going to die but now god his god has healed him go down there and talk to him and in his pride when they came down he said he starts showing off and he shows them everything in his palace everything in his war room everything throughout his entire because he thinks it's his and he's showing off. And then, listen, just quickly, 32-31 of Second Chronicles, we're told, However, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land. What was the wonder? He was, he was healed. And, you know, it's the news. His God has given him 15 more years. God withdrew. You see this? Look at this. It's it's Second Chronicles 32:31. And we're given the testimony by the Holy Spirit of what happened in that time when in his pride he puffed up. Well, why did he puff up? Because God withdrew from him. Why? In order to test him. That he might know what was in his heart. Listen, you can you know, I, lots of people will say, well, you know my heart. No, I don't know your heart. I can see your fruit. I don't know your heart. You don't know your heart. And God wants to show you your heart. And the only way he's going to do it is through testing and trying. As you begin to have a relationship with him. And you draw near to him. See, because you would think with this wonder that's been done, that God has said, yes, I heard your prayer, Hezekiah. Yes, Hezekiah, I'm going to give you 15 more years See, it was all designed not just to, to give him 15 more years because God was going to do that, but to humble him and to bring him to a place of, of knowing. See what it says here? Look, look, that he might know what was in his heart. Where was I going to read that? That's it. But he was showing Hezekiah his heart, just like in Deuteronomy 8.2. He showed the children of Israel. 
He led them 40 years in the wilderness. Their sandals didn't wear out. He led them 40 years around this same mountain. And he gave them water. He gave them bread from heaven. He gave them quail that they might know their own hearts and know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, what's every word? It's Jesus. What's every word? It's God's authority that he sends out. It's what he says. It's, it's everything that has to do with him. And, the, and Hezekiah was tested, and in his pride, he fell way short. Listen to me. And we're okay with this. Because all of us, our best, falls short of the glory of God. The very best you can do. That's why you have to do it in the Lord's strength. According to the Lord's word, as we as we cry out to God in a love relationship, we're his helpmate, we're his bride. We were taken out of his side. Listen to me. Now, why is that so important? It's important because when you go back to the garden, you see that man was created by God, and then woman was taken out of his side. And woman becomes the or excuse me, man becomes the head. And woman becomes the helpmate. Well, Jesus is the head, and we're the helpmate. But see, what we want to do in our pride is we want to be the head and let Jesus be the helpmate. And that's upside down. And that's what's going on in marriage. And that's how the devil attacks everything in this world is through pride of life. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And he wants us to flip all the authority upside downward in everything. And really, man shall live by not bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's speaking of God's authority. Did God say? That's what the devil challenged in the garden. And we have to keep this in line. Anytime we don't keep it in line, in perspective of a marriage and a bride and of authority and us being under authority, then we begin to puff up in our pride and it's our kingdom. Let me show you what's in my... Let me show you what's in my tool chest. Look what I'm doing. Look what I want to do. Look how I'm living. Look what my God did for me because I'm somebody. Those are all demonic statements. We need to be really careful what we think in our heart because pride is, is, is in covetous, pride is the original sin of the devil in heaven. And that's the way he gets us. The lust of the flesh, all that you see, all that you desire, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. And at best, at best, we fall short of the glorious mark. So he tests him. And you and I are being tested. And in that 15 years, if you remember as we closed last week, we're going to 2 Kings 21, 1. In that last 15 years that he was given when he cried out to God, what happens? We're going to see that Manasseh was born. The worst king ever. In the pride, he produces the worst fruit from his loins that he ever could produce. We're going to see his. We're going to see Dad, Hezekiah, has a son, Manasseh, the mom. We're going to see here, and they raised him 
and he becomes the worst king ever. Now, I would tell you that if you have good kids, you can take about 50% of that. If you have bad kids, you can take about 50% of that. But at the end of the day, they stand on their own before God, and they have to have a relationship. God does not have any grandchildren, only children. There's no grandchildren. You can't get it on somebody else's coattails. Let's start reading because I probably belabored this, but pay attention of what leaders do. The Old Testament tells us a lot about what leaders do because the people <coughs> follow the leaders. And if you're following the wrong leader, you're going to end up in a ditch. Blind lead the blind, you end up in a ditch. If you're following the spirit of this world, the Canaanites, the Babylonians, the systems of this world, it's all already to sway of the wicked one. But if you're being led by the Spirit of God in the Word of God, then you're going to glorify God. You're not going to be trying to bring glory to yourself. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. Now, I'm going to make another statement. I think that 55 years is the longest any king reigned. Now, I, I, last time I said that John 6 was the longest chapter in the New Testament, I was wrong. But I think, I'm just telling you, I think. 52 was, um, let's see, in 2 Kings 15, 2. Um, we have um, Azariah. And he reigned 52 years, Azariah. So I think this is the longest one, but I, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, uh, but it doesn't change your salvation if I'm wrong on that. So Manasseh means causing to forget one who forgets. Um, he was 12, and as I told you before, many historians say that his dad... Uh, co-reigned with him for 10 years before he died. So that would have made him really 22 when he took over the full helm, but that doesn't matter either. We're just going to look at this for the thought of this, that dad was with him. The father was there. The father who was making all the reforms told the son all about it. He watched him. He seen the example. He was discipled, and as soon as dad dies, buck wild. Doesn't matter. Watch what happens. His mom's name is um, Hepzibah, and it means my delight is in her. That's what her names mean. My delight is in her. Jerusalem, of course, is teaching peace. That's where he reigned from for 55 years. Verse 2. And he did, here's his testimony, here's his epithet, here's his tombstone. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. It's actually not his tombstone. We'll get to that later. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Listen, he did evil. These were his acts. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Are you reading that with me? He did evil, bad, evil, wicked, wrong. It, that word means mark. This was his mark before the Lord. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now listen, because sight is something we're going to talk about Sunday, I think. Sight means outward appearance. Knowledge. It's what the eye sees. And we're going to probably talk about it Sunday because, listen, the just shall live by faith, not by sight, not by outer appearance. That's why I'm telling you, fruit 
is what we want to look at. Not what somebody does when they show up dressed up for church on Sunday morning. Not what they're acting like. Not the Christianese. What are they doing all week long? How are they living in the streets? How are they, are they witnessing? Are they giving their lives away? Are they serving others? It's not about, oh, let, excuse me, let me help you get a chair. Let me help you serve people here on Sunday. And how we act in the building. It's what we do out there decides whether we're evil, whether we're living for God, whether we have the spirit of God. That's what happens. That's where the rubber meets the road. This is the equipping station. And it doesn't matter how much we hear in here, how much knowledge we gain in here. It matters what we do out there. And in the sight of the Lord, not in the sight of the people. Listen to me. What I see doesn't matter. What does the Lord see in your acts, in your deeds, in your heart? Because that's where the rub meets the road. It's not the outward appearance. It's the heart that matters most. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. What are you doing in the sight of the Lord? Here we got more. According to, or King James says, after the abominations, but according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now listen. Because you just got a glimpse of judgment. You just got a glimpse of God's heart. You just got a glimpse of what he does to those who practice evil. He cast them out. Judgment came upon Canaan. God brought his people in and said, kill every man, woman, and child. And there's your inheritance. You get their fields already planted. You get their houses already built. You get all their stuff. And they're dying. Death has come upon them because he's only given so much time. And then he brings judgment. That's what was going on here. Notice he mentioned that they cast them out before Israel. And what's Israel mean? It's governed by God. Your name is Jacob, supplanter, deceiver. But now your name I'm going to give you, God says, is Israel, one governed by God. That's again governed by the word of God. We're going back to the name of God. Always, what did God say? Well, well, wait a minute, what did he do? Do we got any books written? Listen, you can't just say he did evil in the sight of the Lord. What did he do? What were his acts? Verse 3. For he rebuilt or built up King James, the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. Notice those are mentioned first. Because none of the other leaders would get rid of the high places because they were afraid the people would get mad. So Hezekiah, when he came in, the very first reforms was he tore down the high places. So there was no place higher than God's throne room, God's temple, God's place of worship that people could go to and act like they were first. So he tore them down. But none of the other kings would do that. All of them would leave them up. They would do all these reforms, but nevertheless, they left the high places. Go read the testimony. Because they didn't want the people mad. They didn't want the people coming and kill them. They wanted the people to like them. So they were people pleasers. Listen, you've got to put God first. And if God says tear them down, they're evil, they're high places, tear them down. So he built them back up, repaired them, and set them up. The high places is elevation. Remember, remember, this is where we even talk about elevation worship. 
We bring them back into the church with elevation. Hill song. We got a hill, a high hill. We bring them back in stealthily, right in plain view. Bethel, I believe, was where one of the calves were at. The golden calves. It's a funeral mound is what it means. Isn't that interesting? Because when you begin to have high places, put something before worshiping God, it's just a funeral mound because the fruit of it is going to be your own death. The fruit of it is going to be your own burial. When you put something higher than God in your life, God has to be first. Not because, listen, not because of legalism, not because of force, because of love. Because he came and died for us, because he gave us himself. Then we should, if we see him in proper perspective, we should put him first in everything we do. He built back up the high places, which the Lord is my strength. Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He broke them down. He caused them to perish and leave the land. And, and he began to lead in a way where the people didn't want to worship high places, but they were worshiping God. He raised up altars to Baal. See that? Raised up. And King James says, reared up altars. Not raised up, reared up. You know how you rear up children? You raise up children, you rear them up. That's an old word. And, he, and it means to rise or to confirm them. Uh, altars, places of sacrifice to worship at. He brought them back for Baal. And who is Baal? It's Beelzebub. He's the Lord of the flies. The Lord of the dunghill. He's the male deity of a Phoenician god, a false god. And in fact, we remember that Jezebel and Ahab, remember Jezebel and Ahab? They were part of the northern kingdom. We're going to see their name in a minute, Ahab's anyway. And, and Jezebel's dad was a priest for the temple of Baal in Phoenicia. And Ahab, a king in the northern tribe, been worshiping golden calves. He goes and marries her. And that's how they would make peace with neighboring nations as they would marry their daughters. Because no king would come and destroy a city with his daughter because he had to kill his own child. And so we know that this is how Baal or Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, he came into the nations was through Jezebel. And so he raised up the altars again to Baal. And he made, listen, let me, let me ask you, listen, listen, let me, let, I, I missed this point that I wanted to make. Verse 3, for he rebuilt the high places. He built up, what are you rebuilding in your life? that God's strength took out when he gave you a position in heaven? What are you rebuilding? Oh, I said a prayer, so I'm good. Now I can go back and build some of these death mounds up in my life. I can go back and build some of this because God's already forgiven me, and I can live any way I want. No, he forgave us to follow him. He, he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're supposed to be led by his spirit, not rebuilding death, not rebuilding old life but we're new creation we have a new life a new god a new and living way and then it says that he raised up altars what kind of altars are you rearing up what kind of altars are you raising up in your life well i'm doing pretty good now i know some christianese and i'm going to raise some stuff up i'm going to call some people to come over and look at what i've done and raise them up and then you have the same thing here and he made a wooden image 
What are you making? What are you making in your life? He made a wooden image. You probably have a note. It, it's an Asherah pole. Uh, a Canaanite goddess. It's the female uh, uh, counterpart to Baal. See, these were fertility gods. And the nation of Israel would worship Baal and Asherah in the morning. They would continue to go to their three times of prayer to the temple throughout the day. But they worshiped them so that their crops would grow. They were deceived. And it's the same way that the American church goes to the world and lives the nine to five and goes for the career and goes to everything that the system has set up for us. Listen, I know you're of God. But the whole world lies underneath the sway of wickedness. And now, instead of us having to go to the high hill or over here to the altar, what did they do? They brought it in and indoctrinated it. And they put the <coughs> systems of the devil in the sciences of the world. And they train us to believe them, indoctrinate us. And we walk around believing in evolution. We walk around believing in psychology and sociology. We walk around believing in their science that is a lie. And we say, well, I'm not worshiping the devil. If you're believing the lies of earthly, central, demonic wisdom, you're worshiping at the altar of Baal. You are on a high hill. You are standing worshiping because you're not listening to what God's word says. And my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And if you look in our world today, everything that's going on on the TV, on the radio, in the books, in the music, everything that's going on in the indoctrination stations of our schools and our colleges, it's all feeding the hearts of our next generation, our children. And it's raising them up. It's building up high places. It's raising up altars for Baal. It's making wooden images of Asherah as Ahab king of Israel had done and he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them who are you serving the host the armies of heaven he's talking about the sun the moon and the stars oh Greg we don't do that anymore astrology you know how many Christians read their they, they believe in their astrological symbol they read the astrology they read their lucky numbers they go play lottery they do all of these things that line up with the host of heaven that they're worshiping and serving instead of God and then they go I'm a Christian and you know that's going to be the sad thing because on that day many will say Lord Lord open to us and he's going to say I never knew you because we were listening to the earthly, central, demonic wisdom of this world. And that's how we make our judgments. That's how we make our decisions. Because somebody has a PhD behind their name and tells you that you need to do this, this, and this to be successful. Sorry if I'm yelling. Sorry if I'm loud. Listen to me. This is not success. The Bible tells us. Where is it? Oh, my goodness. What's that verse? <clears throat> Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth But you shall meditate in it day and night So that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it Then you shall be prosperous And then you shall be of good success Joshua 1.8 You want to be prosperous? You want to be of good success? You meditate on the word of God And observe, which means obey To do according to all that is written in it 
Not what's in the world. See, we would rather do what's in the world and squeeze God in if there's time. That's the high places. That's the altars. That's the indoctrination. God must be first or he's not God at all. And this is what happened. Hezekiah brings it in. God allows this leader to bring all of this in, yet he still had pride in his heart, and God was still working on him. But you know what? Hezekiah was buried with all the other kings. Hezekiah, Hezekiah ends up in heaven. Interestingly enough, Manasseh will too. Wait and see and watch. But he goes through a lot of stuff. We'll get to it. So what are you building? What are you raising up? What are you making? What are you serving? Listen, and he served them, the host of heaven. Listen, it means to work for, to labor for, to worship. What are you working for? Listen, I'm telling you right now, and I'm not, and I'm trying, not trying to point at myself, but people freak out. But I go to work because it's a mission field. That's my mission field. I'm working for the Lord. The only thing I've ever been in trouble for at work is sharing Jesus. And I'm not even that good of a worker. I'm just saying that's when the rub meets the road and people get mad because I'm in a house sharing Jesus. That's the way we should live as Christian people. I'm not trying to point at me. I, I am messed up. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. The point is, is what are we called to do? Who are we working for? What are we raising up? What are we making? What are we building in our life? We want to leave a heritage, a godly heritage for our children. And I believe Hezekiah tried to do that with his son, or he was a bad dad, one or the other. And it's easy to be a bad dad because we're men, we're flesh. But if we train them in the word of God, and they know the word of God, they know where their help comes from, you can raise up a godly inheritance. So what are you serving? Oh, it continues. It doesn't stop with verse 3. Verse 4, he also built altars in the house of the Lord, in the temple. It's God's house. My house should be a house of prayer. He also built altars, places of sacrifice and worship, of which the Lord had said. Now listen, this is the house he's talking about. The Lord had said, in Jerusalem, teaching peace, I will put my name. His name is his, um, let me look at it. I got it here somewhere. A mark or a memorial of individuality. But it means his character, his nature, and his will, his authority. That's what name means. That's what name means. God had said, I will put my name in Jerusalem. And Manasseh comes and forgets what God has said. Put on his name. And he built altars in his house and put his name in his house. See, that's what we're doing in the church today. We have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. And we put our name on the house. And we act like it's a church. And all we do is raise up religious practices that lead nowhere except for building our own little kingdoms, our own little thrones, our own little houses of worship. And they're not the same as God's houses. Five, and he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Now this is interesting because in order to get to the house of the Lord, 
you've got two courts, the Gentile court, and then you got the court where they would make sacrifice and wash up and cleanse. What did he do? He put all the host of heaven in these courts so that people coming had to stop there at their altars. And they would never make it to the house of God. And we do the same thing. Wait a minute, Israel did. You travel land and sea to find one proselyte, and then you make them twice the sons of hell, Jesus said about the Jewish leaders. And we do the same thing in the church. We go out and we do all the little evangelistic things, and we tell people about Jesus, and we get them into the church, and then we try to indoctrinate them into what we're doing, into our program, and what our building system is, and what we're doing back here, and what we're doing over there, instead of telling them to tell people about Jesus. Because if Jesus be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself very still. You're being distracted. So he put these in these courts where you couldn't even move to the house of God without worshiping the other gods. So you had to go past them to get to God. Six. 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 Number of men. Six. Also, and maybe more importantly, in the next generation, he made his son pass through the fire. Practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spirits and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Now listen, again, I just made the point a minute ago, and you'll say we're not doing these things, but because the world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one, we are doing these things in the church. Because we're bringing worldly wisdom, earthly, central, demonic wisdom that's been given to us by spirits, by demons, by, by spirit writers, and we bring it back into the church. Instead of following God's counsel, God's word, and God's ways, we bring in all of these books that people are writing, and we bring in all of these practices, uh, and, and we're doing the same thing, and it's, it's in stealth. Let me, let me try to explain it to you. He made his sons pass through the fire, which really is talking about being burnt up. It's a fiery flame. And what they would do is they would have... Um, worship and ritualistic sex to have babies and then after those babies were born they would have this molten image that had its arms out like this it's called molek and they would heat it up with a big fire and they would take those babies and lay them on the, the hot arms and burn them up alive and it's much like what we're seeing today with partial birth abortion or now they're advocating for full birth and then abortion which gets closer to it because they would actually have the baby then take the baby and lay it in the arms and burn it up it would pass through the fire now why is that interesting here i want you to tell you this because this is interesting you and i are being refined by fire see when we come to christ now he wants to test us and try us and as we listen to him he burns out the dross with fire he is a consuming fire that's a spiritual thing. But see, the devil wants everything to be physical, and he takes these children and he burns them up. And they would give sacrifices that way. And they would make their children pass through the fire as they worship Baal, as they handed these children out. And so, you know, 
it's it's sad that we act like we're grown up, but we're really deceived in the church because we don't listen to God's word and we keep repeating the same things. And we need to be handing the word of God to the next generation. Made his son pass through the fire. Wow. Here's his practice, soothsaying. Soothsaying, that's a, um, well, I've got my words upside down. Let me tell you what that is because it's a little different in the King James. It means used enchanters. And enchanters means to hiss or whisper a magic spell like the serpent who whispers, like the serpent who hisses. And he used witchcraft. And he consulted spiritists. Or here it is, familiar spirits. Familiar spirits. That's a big thing today, guys. Do you know what spirit you're of? Are you testing the spirits? Well, how do you test the spirits, Greg? You test them by the word of God. If you don't have the word of God as the plumb line, if you don't know the character and the nature and the will and the inheritance you've been given, you cannot test the spirits of what somebody else says. You have to come into relationship. And that's why there's safety in the body of Christ. The whole body is tested. The whole body is learning. The whole body is counseling one another. The pieces are fit together. They're being equipped. And they counsel one another. And they speak to one another. And all of us can prophesy when it comes to foretelling the word of God. All of us can counsel when we know the word of God. We become competent to counsel. We're told in the book of Ephesians, told in the book of Colossians, it's called Nuthateo. It's counseling by confrontation with the truth of God's word. But what happens is, is the devil divides us. He separates us and he decimates us. And, and, and he says, well, Greg believes that. Oh, no, that's just what Greg believes. I don't believe that about the Bible. Well, then what spirit are you of? If you're not reading your Bible, learning your Bible, and finding out what you believe and what you don't believe and what God, who God is and who he's not then you're just being decimated and led away by false spirits. You have to begin to be part of the body. You have to begin to be growing together, fellowshipping together, in the word together. These are what the spirit of God would do. They would bring us into union or unity together. And unity doesn't mean that everything that he thinks, I think, that's robots. Unity is, is that we're putting on the mind of Christ and Christ has given us gifts talents and abilities. Christ has got us all doing the same thing for the winning of souls. We're in the, we're ambassadors for Christ as if Christ was pleading through us, be reconciled to God. That's all we're doing. We want to share truth so people can be reconciled, so they know where to go. But if we're not bearing fruit worthy of repentance, people don't see any reason to go where we're going. And so since we're married to the world, the church has been in the world so long that the world has saturated the church with earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. The church should know God's word. You go to a doctor that doesn't know the body? You go to a doctor that, yeah, I'm here, you a heart doctor? What do you know about the heart? Well, I don't know. It's in your body, I think. You're going to flee. You're going to run. We're supposed to be Christians. We're supposed to know the voice of God, the word of God, the hope of God, the inheritance of God. 
Listen to me. And we, you go talk to people in the church, and because they refuse to read, they refuse to pray, they refuse to come to church unless it's just left over. I think I'll go because I feel good in my pride that when I go, I feel good about myself. I feel happy thoughts. These, this is all a bunch of spiritists. This is a bunch of familiar spirits teaching us stuff. This is crazy, people. God wants to have a love relationship with us as his bride. His bride. He, he, what does it say in Ephesians? It says that we husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh, does it stop there? No, no. And gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word. That he might present her to himself a spotless and clean bride without wrinkle or any such thing. This is the mystery of godliness, that he is going to die for us, raise again, and then he washes and cleanses us. But we have to listen to him. We have to hear his voice. We're the bride. We're the helper of the groom. He's the head. We're helping him tell people about who he is and what he's done and how he died for the sins of the world. It's not about us. It's about him. This is his history. It's not ours. <clears throat> oh my goodness but we read because we don't learn from these examples we're destined to repeat them the devil loves to do that witchcraft consulted spirits and mediums spiritists and mediums or wizards is the king james it's one who conjures or a knowing one what's a medium I was doing this yesterday. I do it all the time. Think about a medium. We were sitting eating and looked. I said, right, there's a medium. Big cement thing in the middle of two roads. And you got you to gotta cross the medium to get to the other side of the road. See, a medium is a go-between. But what's the mediums of the world today? Media is a medium. And they use radio. They use books. They use TV. They're mediums. Between what? The physical and the spiritual. What are they preaching to? They're preaching to your heart. And if you're putting the mediums in that are from spiritists and witchcraft and sorcery underneath the sway of the wicked one, and you're not putting the true medium, the one that came and bridged the gap from this world to that world, he's the door. There's no other way out and into heaven except for Jesus. He's the true medium that, that bridges the gap for you and me. But there's all these other familiar spirits. There's all these other ways. And, and we're following them and not Jesus, not his voice. His voice leads us and shows us the spiritual realm. Everything about this word reveals the spiritual realm to us. And we walk by faith, not by sight. But we don't have to be, we don't have to be totally lame. <clears throat> When God gives us and reveals us this little bitty minute, this is a very, very small part of God. If he give us any more, our little brains will pop. But this is enough to get into heaven. This is enough to know, as we read today, the testator died. There's a will that was written, and, 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 and God died. He came to earth and died so that we could inherit his kingdom again. We could come back into his family by marriage. Only by marriage. Because see, we were in his family with Adam and Eve. 
and, and because of sin, we were disinherited. The devil stole our inheritance. And see, he's about, we get the inheritance back when we believe in Jesus, and then he comes and tries to steal it again. You're tested and you're tried. What are you tested and tried? Do you have a relationship with God? Or are you still letting him steal your inheritance? Are you still letting him steal everything that, from your family and disinherit you? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What's his works? He's stealing your inheritance. He's stealing all your goods. He's stealing all your fruit. He's coming in like a thief to rob, kill, and destroy. I get carried away. I'm sorry. And he does it through mediums. Look at the church fighting a physical battle instead of living a spiritual life. Church everywhere. Physical battle. Oh, I don't on Sundays. I go to church on Sundays. Got nothing to do with a spiritual life. Except it equips a spiritual person. Lots of people go to church. Go sit in McDonald's. You don't become a cheeseburger. I'm sorry. Stand in your garage. You don't become a car. Had to be in Christ and Christ in us. I, it's just a simple little formula here that is true because of his word. I better move on or I'll be mixed up in something here in a minute. But what's the mediums that you're listening to? Think about it. Because the church is listening and acting and doing the same mediums that the world is doing. I mean, we do the same thing. Oh, no, we don't. Really? What about our books? You know, the world writes books, and they write books about evolution. And, and in order to make them look popular, they go do what's called pyre marketing, which what happens is when it comes out on the market, they buy the first 30,000 copies to make it look like they sold a whole bunch, to make it look like it's popular, to make it sell, because everybody will go, look, it's a bestseller. How come every book that comes out anymore is a bestseller? Because everybody's doing this pyre marketing where you buy a whole bunch of them. It meets the standard of what's called a bestseller. So what's the church do? They write books. They do the same thing. It becomes a number one bestseller. People don't even know the Bible. They're writing number one bestsellers about the Bible. They don't know nothing about the Bible. They don't even know that their inheritance is being stolen and the very fact that they're trying to popularize their own name. They don't even know that they're being built up in pride and it's going to kill them. See, we're not here to gain notoriety with the world. We're here as ambassadors. We're dead men walking. We're crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's not about me. It's about him. So we do the same exact thing. Oh, we do it with the music too. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you mean? Oh, well, see, they get a popular guy over here. You know, Tupac. See, that, that guy ages me like 25 years, right? They get a popular guy. I don't care who you're talking about, whoever it is, J-Lo, somebody. And you know what we do? Oh, yeah, we do. Oh, yeah, we want to win them to Jesus. we got to win them to Jesus with our own physical acts and our deeds and what we're doing instead of the Spirit of God winning them to Jesus. So we come over here and go, well, these people are Christian, and they look like J-Lo. These people are Christian, they look like Tupac, and they sing in some of the same stuff. But they ain't talking all them cuss words. They're saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So who's setting the standard then? Is it the Word of God, or is it the world? 
It's the world that sets the standard. God doesn't need us to pretend like the world and call it Christian. It's not Christian just because it's a book written about Jesus. Christians were called Christians in Antioch first. Why? Because they acted like Jesus. A book does not act like Jesus. A book is an inanimate object. Listen to me. We've got to wake up in the church because we're just practicing the same soothsaying. We're practicing the same things of spiritus and witchcraft. I remember when Harry Potter come out and so many churches argued, so many churches argued that we had to learn what the witches were doing in order to, to give them the gospel. And that Harry Potter was good books and we need to read them. Even the author of Harry Potter is hated now because she rejects the books, right? Anybody know that? Yeah. I think she got saved, actually. Because so many people started praying for her. And now they're mad at her. What's her name? Roland? J.K. Roland? Where are we at? What are you building? What are you making? What are you raising up? What are you serving? Who are you consulting? Psychiatrists? Psychologists? Counselors? Listen, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. I'm not against those people, and there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good Christians that think that they're Christian psychologists. I've said for years, and you guys can be mad at me you want, that, that uh, uh, um, Dr. Dobson would be a better counselor without his psychology if he would just stick to the Word of God. I know most of you don't know who James Dobson is anymore because he's left focused on the family. But you put a nice name on it like we're focusing on the family. So are the Mormons. But they're from the pit of hell. So when you bring psychology in to the Word of God, it's called the integrated path of psychology, and you bring that in. Psychology is based on a dichotomy that leaves the spirit of man out. It, psychology bases itself on flesh and biology. It leaves out the spirit. Psychology doesn't believe in God. But we are built a trichotomy, spirit, soul, and body. We were created in God's image, who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. How are we created in his image? We were like him because we're built in a trichotomy. Spirit, soul, and body. In the garden, they were created spirit, soul, and body. Sin entered in, and they got flipped upside downward to where the body's first, the soul, mind, will, and emotion is second, and then the spirit is just left to die. Jesus breathes on us and says, receive life again. In our spirit, we're flipped upside downward. Now we're paying attention to the spiritual realm. We understand that we're spirit. We're not regarding anybody as flesh anymore, as Paul said. And everything is about the spirit realm. And then we have to start getting our mind, will, and emotions in line, and we beat our flesh into subjection so we can go out and be a witness for God. But psychology is what the church is living by. Boy, if Paul would have had psychology, he would have never been crushed and persecuted and hard-pressed. He would have never despaired for life if he would have had psychology and a psychiatrist. Listen, I'm not picking on people that are going to psychologists or psychiatrists or believe in this. I'm trying to expose it so that you know that God's word is enough, that God is enough, not the world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one. They, here's what happens. The devil creates the problem, 
And then he pours gasoline on it when you go back to him for help. Because he wants the problem to keep going. It's the same way our government works. The government wants the problem to keep going and you to keep thinking that they're helping you when they're really taking from you. The Bible declares it. When you have a king, he comes and takes your, your best women. He takes your best men for soldiers. He takes your best fields for his own crops. The Bible declares that that's all earthly government wants is to take, take, take. Oh, no, they're good for us. There's nothing but evil government. Turn it to sway the wicked one. And there's a lot of evil leaders that cause so much harm, just like Manasseh did, that cannot be repaired except for by the grace of God as we surrender to God. Listen to me. Who are you consulting? He did much evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice it's in the sight of the Lord. As the Lord looked, he's seen it. Everything that we do is in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Of course, if you read Deuteronomy 18, uh, 9-14, you would see that, they were, that God told them that they should not do this when they go into the land. He, verse 7, He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David, love, loving or beloved, and to Solomon, what does Solomon mean? peace peaceful so it says it says in that text he even set a carved image of asherah which is an asherah pole which is a phallic symbol that he made in the house of the lord he said to beloved and to peaceful his son or loving and peaceful his son in the house of in the house and in jerusalem which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. How long is forever? It's the second time by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. And I will make the feet of Israel wonder, and I will not make the feet of Israel wonder anymore from the land which I gave their fathers. Notice this long, what's that called? What's that thing called in the middle there? That line? Oh, you guys ain't paying attention. I dash, see. dash, dash. Yeah. But listen, only if. Listen, there's a condition on this. I will not make the feet of Israel wonder anymore. They have a homeland. They seek a homeland. A land full of milk and honey. Now it's become death because they are not obeying God. Only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them, but they paid no attention. Listen. He says, only if they will observe to do all that I commanded them. Commanded means charge, appoint, send a messenger, put, set in order. And according to the law that my servant Moses commanded them. Notice who Moses was serving. He was serving God. God testifies of it. Nine. But they paid no attention. King James says, but they hearkened not. Listen, when you hear, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearken here means to hear intelligently with the intent to obey. Same word in the New Testament. 
It means to hearken intelligently with intent to obey. Why? Because we're being corrected. Because we're coming to God for help. We're looking for salvation. His ways are always right. We come to him. We're double-minded. We go, what do we need to do? No, nah, I don't like that. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. That's double-mindedness. That's not surrendering and serving. That's continuing to live according to good old-fashioned rebellion and saying your word's not enough. I don't want to obey the same way that Eve said. I'm looking for some way else. But they paid no attention. And listen, what what happens when you pay no attention to God's word? Listen to me, because it's going on everywhere in the country, everywhere in the church, everywhere in culturality. If you leave God's word and you pay no attention to what God's voice has said, what happens? A leader will seduce you. If you don't know the word of God, a leader will seduce you. I told you last week, Andy Stanley said, just because Jesus believed it, just because Jesus said it, doesn't make it true. You should have heard cheers turn over. If God's people would have knew God's word and believed what Jesus said, the chairs should have turned over because that was seduction at its best. To tell a group of people that just because God said it doesn't make it true, they should have tore the walls down as they ran out of the room. Listen, when you don't know the word of God, when you don't heed the word of God, when you ignore the word of God and don't pay attention to what God is saying, It gives leaders a chance to seduce you. And that's what happens. Well, what's seduce mean? To uh, deceive, to make you go astray, to cause you to err, to cause you to wander from the way and to be out of the way. That's what seduces mean. What did Jesus say? Listen to me, because this is a very important point too. Matthew 24. Oh, one day I know it won't be a stone left on here. This is all going to be tore down. And... Oh, 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 Jesus, when's that going to happen? Well, it's going to be 2023. No, he said, he didn't give him a date. What did he say to him? Because he said it in Acts chapter 1. He said, times, these times and seasons are not for you to know which the Father has put in his own hand, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me throughout Jerusalem, Judea, all Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But what did he answer them? He said, You do not be deceived. Do not be seduced. Same thing. It hasn't changed. The deceiver, he wants to seduce us. And if you ignore what God has said, did God really say he said to Eve? She ignored it, and she led us all into death. We lose the inheritance. Christ gives it back, and we continue to ignore what God has said. And we're seduced again by fancy leaders, good orators that don't know the word of God, or do they? See, are they leading us away on purpose because the spirit of Antichrist has went out to deceive the elect if it were possible? So when we pay no attention to the word of God, we don't listen to it in order to obey it, then someone who's making you forget, Manasseh, forgetful, seduces you, causes you to be led in error and causes them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. So you become worse when you're seduced, when you're led away, when you don't pay attention. Be careful who your leader is. 
And the Lord spoke by his servants to prophets. Now listen, because you say, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Listen, God has always got a witness. God's always sending somebody out there. God's got his, his Bible. In past times in divers' manners, he spoke through the prophets, but now he speaks to his son, Jesus Christ, whom he's appointed heir of all things. Listen to me, because it, it, look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke by his servants. It wasn't that they didn't know. God sent his servants to prophets saying to them, Because Manasseh, forgetful uh, uh, king of Judah, praise, has done these abominations. And I didn't even tell you earlier that abominations mean uh, something disgusting, morally, morally and abominable. According to what? According to God's word. He has acted, notice it's his acts, more wickedly than all the Amorites. Remember the Amorites? It's part of the Canaanites. It's one of the ites in the land. The Amorites is a sayer. That's what it means. Amorite means a sayer. See, because if you're just saying something and you're not doing something, then you're, you're, you're acting like the Amorites. A sayer. And Manasseh caused the people to act and do more wickedly than the Amorites who were before him and has also made Judah sin with his idols. So he's the number one reason why they're being led away, but we're led away by our own desires. Therefore, thus says the Lord, verse 12, God of Israel, behold, I am bringing. Who's doing it? It's not Assyria. It's not Babylon. It's not the devil. Listen to me. Who brings it? Because you ignore the word of God, you're seduced. God is the one that's always in control. Nothing has happened in your life that God doesn't allow to test and try, to chastise, to punish. God's allowing these things. I am bringing such calamity. It actually doesn't say that. It says such evil in the King James. Adversity, affliction, harm. Uh-oh, here it is again. Mark. God says, I am bringing such a mark upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both of his ears will tingle. Man. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria. So there's a measuring line that he measured on Samaria, right? That's the northern kingdom. That's Israel. There's a measuring line where they went into captivity. He's stretching that same line and measuring them according to the way he measured Samaria. And the plummet or the plumb line of the house of Ahab, the same way he judged Ahab, he's going to use those two things to judge Judah. He's judging everybody with the same plumb line, the same measuring uh, stick. Kidding me? I thought I had Ahab in here. I don't see it. We're almost done. Another 25 minutes. Um, <laughs> that was funny, wasn't it? I'm teasing, though. <clears throat> I was sure I looked at Ahab. So the plumb line, or the measuring stick, the plumb line of the house of Ahab, listen what he says, I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish wiping it and turning it upside down. Isn't that, 
and father's brother. Father's brother and brother. Hey, I've got it here somewhere. I'm just not seeing it. Remember? Oh, there it is. Father's brother, brother or friend of his father. Yeah, I have it on it. I knew I had it there. My brain was just not working. Now listen, what's, what's wipeth mean? He's going to wipe. He says it three times. He's going to wipe as wiping and, 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 and wipe Jerusalem. I will, I will, I will, God says. And it means to erase, to abolish, to blot out, to destroy, to wipe away. He wipes them away. So I will forsake means to disperse, to thrust off or upon. I will forsake the remnant. Who's the remnant? Judah. Remember, there was 12 tribes, and the other ones are already gone, and Judah's the only one left, the southern tribe. They're the remnant that's left. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become, listen, bad word, says victims. No. No. Listen. The devil wants us to be victims. God's word did not tell us we're going to be victims. It says pray. The real word is pray. It's a person or cattle carried away in a battle. It becomes the plunder, the booty, the spoils of war. So if prey of spoil is what it is, not victims. Listen to me. Right now in the world, the devil wants you to be a victim. Everybody's looking for somebody to blame for their life instead of being content with what God has allowed to test and try and, and to, to raise you up. And you look to him for wisdom and you let him burn out the dross and let him create you in his image. But everybody wants to be a victim. So you say, well, I, uh, it, was that, it was that dad you gave me. It was that wife you gave me. That's how they blame an original sin. Adam said, it was that woman you gave me. See, that's a victim. We are not victims. We're overwhelmingly more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We are not victims. Victims have somebody to blame. Victims are not trying to have peace. Victims are not trying to reconcile. Victims are not trying to serve. Victims are trying to get even and, and, and to go out and get vengeance because they're a victim. And they're always going to be a victim. And they cannot get anywhere because they're still being held down by the dog that bit them. Listen to me. we got to wake up. We've been given an inheritance in Christ. He overcome the grave. And we can't overcome somebody doing something to us and start praying for them. Oh, we're back to prayer. That's what God wants to do, to set the captive free. You pray for your enemy. You pray for your enemy. God's not destroying these people. He's casting them off. He's putting them through this to bring them back. You're going to see in a minute, Manasseh repents. Because of this chastisement that comes upon him. Listen to me. We are not victims. That's a terrible word that somebody chose. Probably because of copyright. But it shouldn't be there. Pray of spoil to all their enemies. Because they have done evil in my sight. That's the third time that God has said evil in my sight. Because we live, move, and breathe before him and have provoked me to anger. Second time he said that. Since the day of their fathers came out of double straits, land of Egypt, land of the cops, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood. We're back to that. Innocent blood. How many innocent people die and have nothing to do with it? They're just living their life. How many innocent babies die? die 
innocent blood. It means blameless, clean, guiltless. And the blood right there means as that which is shed that causes death. Because life is in the blood. He, he also shed very much innocent blood. Tradition says that he killed many prophets. Tradition says that Isaiah was hiding from him and hid in a hollow log and that he cut, the lo- cut Isaiah in half when he cut the log in half on purpose. See, because they brought the word of God. And if you're worshiping uh, familiar spirits and, and demons, and, and listen, if you've ever been involved in like a, a Ouija board or the, the, the eight ball and all of these evil things of astrology and those things, you need to repent of them. You just need to ask God those were, and tell God those were evil and get them out of your house and get them rid of you. If you got dream catchers, if you got stuff like this yoga stuff, you got this evil stuff from false religions like dream catchers is shamanism. That's, that's evil. Everybody, I go everywhere I go, but everybody's got dream catchers hanging on their car window and in their houses and they act like that's good. That is evil. It's shamanism. The eight ball is witchcraft. It's soothsaying. The Ouija board is demonic and familiar spirits. There is power there, but it's a power that's underneath God's control. And you will lose. You will die. You will suffer messing with that stuff. God is the one that's all-knowing. And you should repent of it and burn it and get far from it. Get rid of the root of it. Confess it. We better keep going. Look, 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem, till he had filled teaching peace from one end to another, besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Fourth time, evil in the sight of the Lord. These are the people of God. This is the tribe that Jesus come from. I'm glad it didn't end here. Listen to me. Go to 2 Chronicles 33 now. We were in 32 for Hezekiah. His son is in 33. If you read 1 through 9, or excuse me, 1 through 8, it's the same text that we just read. Everything that he did, the same thing. But then in 33, 9 of 2 Chronicles, we're told, So Manasseh seduced Judah... He caused uh, praise to be seduced or led astray. And the inhabitants of teaching peace, Jerusalem, to do more evil than the nation to whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Second Chronicles 33.10 And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not listen. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, hooks in their noses, uh, pierced nose people, hooks in their noses. Jewelry speaks a lot of your bondage and who you worship. Sorry, I'm just keeping it real and telling you the truth. He took them away. When you're in bondage, you're taken away. They would put hooks in your nose and then loop chains and you'd all be hooked together and they'd lead you away. A lot of times they'd cut your clothes off about waist to embarrass you at the same time. You wouldn't want to run because you're half naked. So you'd just stay where you're at, humbled and in bondage. And you don't want nobody to know that you're humbled and in bondage. 33, 
11 B, 2 Chronicles 33, 11 B, bound him with bronze, that's judgment, and carried him off to Babylon. Confusion. Now see, if that was the end of it all, it'd be sad. But look at 12. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, 13, and prayed to him. And he received his entreaty. God received his prayer, seen his heart, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem, brought him back to teaching peace into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Listen, God is not chastising us to kill us. God does not bring affliction to kill us. It's to train us, to teach us in righteousness. To bring us back to know that the Lord is God and that man shall not live by, word, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. After this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gion in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and it enclosed Ophel. And he raised it up very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He began to defend the city, God's city. Stand for God and stand strong and build up the army. He took away the foreign gods and the idols. He cleaned up the place from the house of the Lord. And all the altars that he had built, he tore them down in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thanksgiving offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. But the damage was already done. 17. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. See, they're still looking at God, but they're they're doing it, some of it wrong. They're in the high places. But they're giving them to God. <clears throat> and if you go back to the text, we'll close it out. Verse 16. Excuse me, verse 17. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did, and the sin that he committed, the sin that he sinned, King James, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Verse 18. So Manasseh, listen, King James says this. New King James, I mean, rested. Uh-uh. So Manasseh slept, is the King James, with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah. Then his son Ammon rested in his place. Remember Uzzah? Called the outbreak of Uzzah? When they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, David was bringing it. He forgot to consult with the priest. Uzzah touched the Ark. He fell down dead. David got mad at God about that. Uzzah. The Garden of Uzzah. Well, you know what it means? Strength. Notice, Manasseh was not buried with David. He was not buried in the tombs with the other kings. He did sleep, though. So that gives us a clue, because if you go to sleep, you wake in the arms of God. He didn't just die. I believe he repented. He was saved. But he didn't get the honor by people that kings would get, because he led people away. He seduced the people. So he didn't get the honor that other kings got and were buried. His son's going to follow in his footsteps and he doesn't get the honor. He's buried in the same place we see in this next text. But the real kings that were living for God, they're buried in, 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 in the tomb with David. 
Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Meshelamuth. It means uh, um, friend. Listen, she helped Manasseh train Ammon. Ammon means skilled workman or master workman. She was the daughter of Haruz of Jatba. Haruz is zealous or earnest, and Jatba means pleasing or pleasantness. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, just like his dad, as his father Manasseh had, Manasseh had done. So he walked in all the ways of his father have walked, and he served the idols that his father had served, and he worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Then the servants of Ammon conspired against him. See, they said, we already seen this with your dad. So they conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against the king, Ammon. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Josiah founded of Yah, whom Jehovah heals. He's one of the great reformers. Hezekiah, Josiah, both of the two great reformers that we have left. And uh, the people still don't turn. The people still end up in bondage. We're going to see many years. I think after the northern tribes, when it was about 100 years, we've seen that 55 years here. Well, Hezekiah ruled like 27 or something. And then 55 here. So now you're at 82. You get a few more years before they're carried away to Babylon. Um, so Josiah, his son, was king. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And he was buried in the tomb in the garden of Uzzah with his father. Then Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. Manasseh, forgetful. Are you forgetting your old life and walking in the newness of life? Or have you been given new life and you're forgetful of what God has done? Have you ever learned what God has done, what he's doing, what he's going to do? Do you understand your inheritance that we are joint heirs with Christ by marriage because of our kinsman redeemer? What are you building up? What are you raising? What are you making? Who are you consulting in your life? Is the word of God enough? Are you listening? Listen, I'm not trying to get you to, oh, I better go hide myself in my house and read the word of God and never come out until I learn it. No, turn your heart towards home. Be led by the spirit of God. Read the word of God with intent to understand and build a relationship and learn to obey it. Christ already took our punishment. Our sin is not going to lead to death. He took our punishment if we're truly children of God. And we've been set free from that fear of death all of our life so that we can be free to just ask for forgiveness and go, what? When you ask for forgiveness, he is faithful to forgive and keep cleansing you from unrighteousness. But if you never say this is sin, if you never say me doing this is sin, Lord, help me quit doing it, 
then you're not even agreeing with him. You're rejecting his word. You're insulting his word. But when you begin to say, Lord, this is wrong. Now he can move you to a place where you stop doing it. Move you to a place where you don't need it. Move you to a place where you can trust in him and learn that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But as long as we're disobedient, we never learn that lesson and see our pride and humble ourselves in his sight so that he can lift us up. Father, thank you for the examples of Manasseh, as wicked as he was, Lord, when he humbled himself, you forgave him. And you didn't just forgive him, Lord. You brought him back to Jerusalem, teaching peace. You brought him back to your kingdom and your inheritance. And you saved him. Thank you, Lord, for such a great salvation that you offer to everybody who will hear and believe you and trust you. Lord, therefore, you send us out as witnesses. Let us tell somebody. And Lord, when they hear, we pray that they would believe in your son, Jesus, and be delivered from their sin nature and accepted back into your house as a child. Oh, Lord, thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I